What's really good, everybody? This is Nathan Alabach, and welcome to the podcast where we get into people's stories and go down a bunch of rabbit holes about what's really good in the world. For today's episode, I spoke with Jennifer C. Martin. Jennifer is the senior editor at Topics and has been featured on publications such as Uproxx, Splinter News, Gawker, and Jezebel. She's even interviewed the most notorious slippery slope figure in Christian culture today, known as Rob Bell, who was the author of books like Love Wins and Velvet Elvis. I actually started to get to know Jennifer through the Stakem Twitter account that I manage, in which we had interacted for months via mostly online humor. But as I started seeing more of her tweets, I realized we actually had a lot in common. We both grew up in charismatic conservative churches and have both since gone through phases of deconstructing our beliefs into something new. So yeah. Throughout this episode, we got to share a bunch of stories together, and Jennifer was extremely candid with her experiences and opinions, so this was just a really great time. Now, without further ado, let's get into what's really good. Thank you for coming on the mm-hmm. podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's so good to meet Twitter friends almost in real life. <laughs> yes, and and I feel like my my Twitter verification is BS. Everybody was like, I like I just can't believe I got verified. But you you when also had problems with that. Was it recent? I think I saw that my friend David Pemberton, who like. Uh, works for somewhere else in San Francisco got verified. So like last year, I like I was like, oh, he can't be verified and not me. <laughs> so I just copied a link to my topics articles, and I was like, hopefully this will count as verification, and it did. Doc, that's real life documentation. That's what, that's, they, that's what they want, I guess. Well, not anymore. Now, now there's no pathway to get verified unless you know somebody. So I think I'm doomed oh, really? forever. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the whole like the whole verify Stakem thing because like it was right around the time when they had verified uh, Richard Spencer, and then all that backlash <laughs> came, so they shut the whole department down. <laughs> so now that seems like a solid plan. Yeah, except except now the people of the world like me, I never get a cool blue check mark unless I pay somebody like hundreds of dollars or something. <laughs> oh wow! Well, uh, my blue check mark was very. It made me respect the whole process less. I'm like, you guys are just giving these away now, but. I I guess they stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fine. So, and for people who don't know, is there any like background or a little bit of your story okay. you want to jump into? Sure. My name is Jiversy Martin. I'm a writer at Topics, and and I basically write um, clickbait all day, and it's super fun, and I don't care. Like, I also write on the side. I write about a lot about religion. Um, I grew up in a town called Cleveland, Tennessee, which is the headquarters for the charismatic Pentecostal denomination uh, Church of God. Um, my, Especially my mom's side of the family is heavily, heavily involved in the Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee. My grandfather taught at the university, the Church of God College there, and also where I graduated from and where most of my family is graduated from, a uh, university, like... He like it was just like really like Pentecostal like upbringing and I don't know I I didn't realize how different my upbringing was until I, like my dad started getting jobs and moving around when I was in middle school and then I would like be introduced like I met a Catholic for the first time at age eleven and I was like mm. well I was like oh my gosh and then much less like Jehovah's Witness Mormons like I I don't even think I realized that other people weren't. Like in Cleveland, Tennessee, it's like, oh, you're if you're not Church of God, you're Baptist or something. Yeah, like that was yeah. it. That's the religious diversity of that town. Wow. So, <laughs> so now. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. So and then I went to college and I was pretty conservative and I and I was always a little bit of a rebel, but like I started getting really uncomfortable with a lot of aspects of modern conservative evangelical Christianity. And I really wanted to stick with evangelicalism because, like, honestly, like, I love my liturgical church now, but it's, like, charismatic churches are fucking fun. Oh, are, yeah. Am I allowed to cuss? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> they're so 
fun. Yeah. They're so fun. Uh, but they're also like my denomination. It's 2018. My, like my like they're not even letting women be pastors yet, much less yeah. like gay people. So yeah. I'm I can't be there. I cannot be in that mindset. Like it's it's it was very toxic. Even though I have some fond memories. Yeah, it's weird how like I think from the outside looking in, for those who don't really have a um a background or a, a concept for Pentecostalism and the charismatic church, it's it seems like it's a very niche kind of like small group, but it is, is actually really big, especially in the South and in some pockets of the country. Like it's it, yeah, I forget the numbers, but it consists of. Uh, and overseas too yeah yeah it's all over and it's it's this sort of um for those who don't know i mean traditional i'm not sure when it started like traditional uh, pentecostal denomination in the early 20th century actually i read a book on it because i'm a nerd (laughs) i read a book on the founding of the denomination i'm no longer part of because i i just wanted to know about it we got (laughs) it got started like country methodist or baptist churches and then they like Supposedly, the thing goes that they had like a spirit of God, and they like kept and they started like speaking in tongues and stuff, and then they just like incorporated that into church services and started a denomination and, and like and, and then they and it's like very focused <laughs> on like miracles and yeah. the, the spirit moving and speaking in tongues. Oh and yeah, the, all these uh these gifts that were in part of the New Testament that for uh, hundreds of years were sort of found to be just right. dormant. And then now this this church kind of brought them back (laughs) to the main, not the mainstream, but to their mainstream. It was just, and it was just Pentecost Sunday at my UCC. Right now I go to United Church of Christ. And so it was Pentecost Sunday. And I still like it's Pentecost Sunday is so different for other denominations. I don't even think we had Pentecost Sunday. It was like every Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, every Sunday people were getting healed and, and yeah. the, the Lord's showing up. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so that was super fascinating when I had heard just through Twitter that that's how you were raised since I had been raised oh, yeah. in a very similar really? context. So do you know the church? I mean, you live in like the Virginia area now. There's a church in Charlotte um, called Morningstar. Do you know Morningstar? I've heard of them, yeah. So that, they're a pretty they- popular. They're like a neo-charismatic church. Like so, they fall. Neo charismatic. Okay. It's just like a newer. It it literally just means new. So it's just one of the newer branches, I guess, of this. It's sort of like Bethel, like Bethel Church in. uh, Oh yeah. They're one of them. Oh yeah. So like. Oh my gosh, my friend (laughs) went there, and she was part. This is a real. This is a real degree you can get at Bethel. And she was. uh, She has a degree in supernatural ministry. Yeah. Yeah, that's a super. I have friends with that too. It's super common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they're all about like they're all about equipping uh, the younger generations into dealing like everything for for these churches. Everything is for those again on the outside. It's all contextual in sort of where the United States fits into the narrative of the our world's current placement and then our world's history, where they sort of feel that God is now kind of coming back to life through this particular yes. movement within the u.s and that they have to equip people to rise up within politics within pop culture within Absolutely. all these different domains so that they can oh, uh, yeah. bring the kingdom of heaven to earth so it's a sort of it's a very very it's from the outside like, again it's weird because when when i mean i can't speak to your experience like my experience growing up I, there was a lot of really, really rock solid, awesome people I grew up with within this movement. They're they're super sweet, good people. They had, like had good standing in the community, but it is very cultish from the outside yes. looking in. It's very. I mean, it was hard for me to call it a cult when my entire hometown that was the because it was the headquarters of Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee. Yeah. I keep saying Cleveland, Tennessee. I've never even been to Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. So, so I always tell to people, I'm, yeah, <laughs> and I. I just it, it the whole town was mostly like the majority at least was Pentecostal. Yeah. So it was almost hard to escape it before you realize, wow, like other people have even heard of this denomination. Yeah, yeah. And so it was just a real wake up call to realize that my little community was not 
not like everybody else's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So walk people through um, just like what was it like for you growing up in this? Were you a strong like was this instilled in you at a very young age? Very to much. Be, so you were a were you a strong personal believer, or is it kind of just like you weren't sure how you felt about it growing up, or were you oh, all in? I've always I've always had strong beliefs one way or the other. I feel like I just like. Like, I don't get, I think I just, like, in, immediately, like, jumped to having strong beliefs yeah, on the other side yeah. now. So, I was very, like, into it and very, like, like, I really liked my upbringing and my, I grew up in a, this is probably why I didn't lose my faith completely, but I grew up with family members who were very, like, theological and, like, there are a lot of PhDs in my family, yeah. um, a lot of, like, pastoral degrees, and so... They would just discuss their opinions about things, even if it was against the church. So, like, my uncle, you know, I'm sure you've heard the free will Calvinism argument over and over again. I'd have to. So we were kind of allowed to, like, ask questions. Like, my parents never, never were, like, super, super strict. They were religious. They were conservative. But I wouldn't say they were, like, try to shut me down. But when I would go to church, I would notice that not everybody was like that. Other people were like forced into lifestyle roles. And it just, I would say probably the hardest part of it was for me. Like I was a really kind of like a bossy opinionated, even as a kid, like really strong personality kind of girl. And that was definitely discouraged, not by my parents, but by anybody I'd met in church, they would be like, Oh, you're so loud. I'm like, I know. Yeah. yeah, well, the church are like sort of naturally, like even even a lot of more progressive churches kind of do this. Like it's sort of within the church body, quote unquote, people tend to fall into roles within the church. Right. And gen- oh, right. gender roles very easily fit into that narrative where, you know, like depending on any given Sunday, it's not uncommon at all in a church for women, not like you had mentioned, not to be allowed in leadership. Like the most the most prominent position a woman could be in in a lot of these cases is like a, a church deacon, which is essentially yeah. you're a leader, but you're not really a leader. You're sort of under no, yeah, it's like a, of men. So that's right. Like the men are still in charge, at least in my denomination and, and every they have a big, what do they call it? Like a big meeting, like every two years. Uh, not, uh, what is it? General Assembly. That's what they call it. Okay. And they every two years, the same one, should women be pastors? And like every two years, they vote against it. And I'm yeah. just sitting there. I'm like, this is why I'm not in your church anymore. Well, yeah. I mean, this and tons of other reasons that you probably, I can't imagine that, that like gay people ever be allowed in leadership while I'm alive. Yeah. So. Well, I think, it, I think that speaks um, very specifically to sort of your storyline where you, as you said, you left this denomination to be, you know, sort of you swung the other way where now you're part oh, of a yeah. progressive nomination. I think that's super common for the people like you who sort of, they reach whether it's a wall they hit or they come to a place in their life where they're making these changes interpersonally, uh, biologically, like neurologically, whatever. And they they hit a wall and they come to a place where they realize this isn't either this something's not right in the church or they're making a personal change. And it's so yeah. difficult to stay in those systems to to create change because you're just you're just you are piled on by bureaucracy and just hierarchy and it's it's so much to go up against i'll tell you a story about how i knew i was done with the denomination for good and this is pretty sad and i don't i don't even know if i've ever written about it but i applied to be a missionary to portugal with like me and me and daniel my husband and like and my two kids and i was serious about it like i was raising i was thinking about like raising money. I was like involved with this. It was some like missionary, like European missionary organization. And I was like learning Portuguese. I was like doing all this other stuff. We had gone to interviews to meet people. We had like sat down with people. And then one day I got a phone call from them and they're like, we understand that you're, this is really what happened. They're like, we understand that you um, are you and your husband are what is it egalitarian like not complementarian yep, exactly. and I'm like yeah I'm like yeah we are because it's because I don't like I don't live in the complementarian world I can't even imagine being in that sort of marriage and then they were like is it also true that you 
support same-sex marriage. And I was like, yeah, that's a political view I have. And they're like, well, we don't think we can accept you into our organization. And it turns out that uh, the pastor that we had had told them when we had put him as a recommendation that we shouldn't be considered because of our liberal beliefs. Wow. I was like, this, yeah. And so that was pretty devastating. And then I just had to let, I let that dream go. This was before I was writing full time as a job. Like, and then I, and then I fell into writing and now it's nice. I, I mean, I'm glad, I guess I'm glad I didn't become a missionary, but no, but that, I couldn't believe that my personal beliefs were being scrutinized that much. Yeah, yeah, that's so absurd. And I, and again, just to give some context for people listening who may not know these terms, uh, complementarianism is the sort of more traditional old school ideology within uh, just Western Christianity and evangelicism as a whole, where basically it, it's the notion that men are the head of the household and that men are the leaders. And men, it's, it's basically the the religious take the western religious take on gender roles like wrapped up you know in the sort of stereotype yeah. where then women women are the helper and it sort of takes it takes uh very ancient archetypes many of which you know as we see cross-culturally like some of some many of which generally apply across genders but also ev- we see huh. all across the spectrum there's mass exceptions and i think you're a great example of one too where you're a, you just said it yourself growing up pal you've always been more rebellious and rambunctious yeah you don't fit that uh whatever you want to call it that stereotype at all so i think it's really it's fascinating to hear you kind of unravel like your story and all this and how you went from this uh complementarian sort of upbringing to now you believe egalitarianism which is more just a uh, equal footing sure. of men and women and how you know there's there's not this like hierarchy of one over the other and that's it's it's weird i think <laughs> for most people to hear because it seems like such an ancient way of thinking but it's right. super prevalent really all over right i don't i don't i remember like I was watching when when the 2016 election was still going on, mm-hmm. and I remember the media people were like, "Why is the Pope? Why is this, like the Pope had said something bad about Trump?" Yeah, and somebody was like, "Why are evangelicals still supporting still supporting Trump even when the Pope doesn't like decried him?" I'm like, I know people who think Catholics are going to hell. Yeah, like, that's, that's most less, evangelicals. Like, like most like evangelicals less, don't like Catholics. <laughs> no, they don't like Catholics. And and I think people are really out of touch with what those communities are really like. Yeah. I really think, especially like if you're online and in your little, I don't know, leftist liberal social media circles, I, I really, I mean, it's easy to like look at the people responding to dumb stuff online, but it's like the nice people who are just nice to you and like minding their own business. Those are the ones who I think are like sneaky, dangerous, like supporting (laughs) these, supporting these patriarchal, terrible, in my opinion, terrible systems. Yeah. And I think that's why now, (laughs) no, go ahead. Oh, right now I go to church and my, and my pastor is a woman. So so cool. I know other people aren't amazed by that, but I'm like, you guys, my pastor's a woman. No, it, it is amazing, and it's very rare. <laughs> and I think that's that's kind of why I wanted to touch a little earlier on just sort of your upbringing and how how serious you took all this. Because I feel that many people, like you're mentioning on the outside, who don't really understand this context, I think a lot of those pe- same people did grow up sort of with, within a similar community, but either their parents didn't take it very seriously or just they didn't take it very seriously. So then when they yeah. came of that teenage-ish age where you start to really develop who you are and your identity, then they were already just detached because they were never enforced into any of these communities in a way where, you know, when you're like, right. when you're all in in a church community, it's such a different, like, there's a lot of people who say, I was raised Christian, but really all that means is they went to church on Easter Sunday. And that's you know right. I mean? No, you weren't, you weren't raised Christian like us. Like, where it's every aspect of your life, even when you come home, like, my grandparents, like, all, all of my relatives, all of these old church people that my my grandma was friends with they, they've been in my life for so long and now yeah. i'm watching them like all slowly unfriend me on facebook <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, well, it's, it's such a and it's such a disconnect. It's such a disconnect because they're watch. Like I, I was going to ask you that too. I mean, how like what is the general sort of um, placement of, of relationship within your family that you've you've sort of found mm-hmm. yourself in? Like, are you close with your parents still? Or are you? I'm close to of- my parents because my parents also have kind of like they moved away from Cleveland, Tennessee, and now my parents live in Nashville. And, and they're empty nesters, and they're just like, my parents have a more fun life than me. They go to country <laughs> music concerts, and they go to some cliche, typical, like, mega church type thing. I'm, yeah. It's like a neutral, <laughs> it's like neutral, it's like probably still problematic beliefs at the core, but yeah. whatever. They just like to show up and listen to a nice speech while holding coffee. So they think that's... They think they're just as rebellious as me, I'm sure. <laughs> but they they just like they just like their jobs and they're they're more into that these days. My grandma is dead. Um, so the matriarch of our family, like she died in two thousand eleven and and my grandfather is still alive, but he has pretty severe Alzheimer's. Oh. And my uncle still drags him to church, which sucks, but but it's a lot of it has died down within my family with the loss of the matriarch with the yeah. loss and basically my grandfather and the fact that none of us live in the Cleveland, Tennessee anymore. Yeah. So getting, we all just kind of escaped in our own ways. I guess death is a, the best escape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so I'm sorry. I'm, I have such a dark sense of humor. Um, yeah, but I mean, I'm even though my parents aren't as conservative as they as the denomination is i'm not as close to them as i was and anybody all of my old church friends and stuff that like they've they've all unfollowed me hidden me on facebook or just straight like unfriended me a couple of people have sent me oh this is the worst one a lady that i went on a trip with with my grandma sent me a message about how she was really sad to hear me using curse words and that my grandparents like were proud Republicans growing up and that the, you know, the church had really helped raise me, which is true. And that it was really sad to see where I was going. And it was such like a, it came from such a heartfelt place. You could tell that she's like worried about my soul. And then she unfriended me. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this happened i'm like aren't you but i'm very active in my own church now it's just a different church yeah i think you t- I mean, that you touched on it perfectly right there where i think for a lot of people again not coming from as as a uh, strongly of the background that you have or i have that they look at something like that from the outside and it looks just oh like why would they ever like why would she ever say something like that but from their perspective like when you grow up in it you really understand like they think so much of this is this like they are trying to prevent as many people as they can from going to hell and they are trying right. to they're trying to win this sort of uh political social interpersonal war it's like everything's right. a battle. Oh my gosh! You know, absolutely. I don't think a lot of people understand that. Yeah. When good. they attack evangelicals, then and evangelicals, especially with like Palestine and Israel stuff going on. Yeah. Like, no, they don't care about Palestinians because they think it's part of God's plan. It's like a self-fulfilling. It's the other doom prophecy. Yeah, everything. It's so, yeah. That is that's a whole thing in and of yeah. itself where there's sort of the. It's it's almost like looking at itself in the mirror, like both there's like a both sidism to that, where yes. each side is essentially saying it's all about self preservation, like for the Israelis, and then you look at the Palestinians, and it's like they are the other, like they are intruding That's on right. the promised land, but and then there's like the reverse to that, where it's like each side basically feels victimized by what's happening, and then but America has chosen Israel, like a. <laughs> To, as their as the horse that they're back in, so it's it was, that was the weirdest thing to me was how pro Israel my denomination was because not because I thought it was strange that they would support like I don't know like God's people against Muslims because of course they are they hate Muslims but like I asked I remember I'm like you guys think these people and these people and these people are going to hell do you think Jews are going to hell yeah and it was and they would always dance around that question yeah. 
Yeah, it's such like, a, it's so weird, and it's, and it's all and it's all tied in with geopolitics. Because yeah. I mean, that really is that's the the Fox News narrative. That's the sort oh, of yeah. it's all wrapped in together. Like this whole like religion, it's the religion like they call it's called the religious right for a reason. From like from the time it was that term was coined. I mean, it really is. It's mixed in with this giant narrative, and really none of like when you start to dice it apart, like you're mm-hmm. saying, it doesn't really make a ton of sense because yeah. When it's just one v one talking theology with like Judaism versus Christianity, there isn't yeah. much of an agreement there at no. all. You know, <laughs> and especially because like tip like typically with Jewish culture, like most Jews are Jews, not 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 um not that they don't take their faith seriously, but it's way more. I know a, what you mean. It's way, way more of a heritage. Cultural, exactly. Yeah. It's way more cultural, and they're way more easygoing with the faith. Like they'll. They, they make the faith and the sacraments involved in their faith a huge part of their lifestyle. But when it comes That's down to these yeah. like really That's specific... That's what I want to do. Yeah. But, the, but, when it, but for <laughs> evangelicals, when it comes down to every specific policy, like policy on, an, on a government scale and every single text in the Bible, like you have to have a hard line opinion. And that opinion is the end. Like there's no conversation. Like we have the right That's opinion. Right. And Jewish culture is the opposite, where everything is sort of left in the tension, and they're they're yeah. open to arguing and sort of working through the. That's theology. a good way to put it. Yeah, I never thought of it like that. Have you ever read articles from Charisma News or Charisma Magazine? Yeah, that's that was big in my church. It was probably the Fox News. Like Fox News is too yep. liberal. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It's so weird. They have like a like a weird arbitrary landscape across their 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 feeds and like where they get their news and to to where like someone like you or I would say that's super far right to them. It's like oh that's super far left. It's this weird. I know. Sliding I know. scale. <laughs> I don't know, but but because of finding lots of progressive voices, I think honestly it began at my evangelical school. They. There were lots of different kinds of professors there. And if you were open-minded enough to listen to like the both sides of things they were presenting, then you could welcome that. I knew a lot of people who would go to the same classes, read the same books as me, and get nothing from it. They'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. Like back to my hard line, what I was raised with. Yeah. And then just reading and reading afterward. Rob Bell was a big part. Uh, Rachel Held Evans. Um, uh, do you know Nadia Bowles-Weber? I do. I saw her. She came to a church in Richmond, and I went and saw her speak, and she was <laughs> really good. That's super cool. Yeah, I was going to ask, yeah. like, who, who are, are they sort of, are they people in the circles now that you sort of follow still? Yeah. Or, so they're like yeah. your, your people Oh, still? yeah, they're so good. So I wish that I could be that kind of Christian writer. I really wish that I could be, like, inspiring, like, helping people save their faith, sort of. But I'm just honestly too... I, raunchy i guess i can't yeah. <laughs> I can't i can't be that good all the time like well, they, they can't they, they still put on a brand i think that's important to mention just because i mean i've I've also followed all three of them over the years just i mean primarily on twitter a little bit through the write-ins like rob bell was yeah same for me like earlier on um just from a, i, I want to say my sort of journey through this is a lot of bumps and a lot of ups and downs. And Rob was hmm. one of the authors, I think maybe five years ago now that sort of, it didn't really rock my world. It just sort of reaffirmed some things I'd already been thinking about and believing. So th- he's had that effect on me. But since then, I mean, I've kind of come through that way of thinking just a little bit, whereas I kind of, not that it's old to me, but like you and I talked about this a little bit when we were messaging on Twitter before yeah. how the, so much of that um, persona is still in a way like a brand of ideology where I uh-huh. I get a little bit bothered just by the, the like, there's a lot of pad answers. With, I agree. With you know? I agree with you. you know? I agree with you. That's almost why I kind of I don't want to say I choose not to do it, because honestly, if I could choose to be a well-known Christian writer that inspired people and had thousands and thousands and thousands of fans and like book deals and stuff uh, that doesn't seem like a bad path to go but i also don't i could not maintain that image that i like i i find it really hard to to not be myself and maybe myself is just a little 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know, you're too transparent for sure, and I'm, yeah. the, I'm the same way. I think, and I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's an issue. I think whether or not people like you or they like me, there's a transparency there that I think is really valuable. That people like, and I don't know how much of it is a power dynamic. I don't know how much of it is just getting older, but it seems like people. Rob Bell is just a great example of this because I've read so much of him and listened to every one of his talks, all of his podcasts, mm-hmm. whatever. To the point now where I could go back, like I don't listen to it on a regular basis, but I could go back and listen to any recent episode and just already know what he's going to say. Like I already know all the like his the the, the answers he pulls out, the, the metaphors he uses, you know. And it's, it's oh just, wow, yeah. It, it gets to the point where it's like, and I don't think that in itself is a bad thing. I just think it becomes bad when it's like a ingrained pattern where. There's, it just really does seem to put up a layer of inauthenticity a little bit. I know? will I will tell you something. I think that being raised in a a denomination that seems to value like the authentic like experience of the Holy Spirit and all of that, it kind of rubs off rubs off rubs up. <laughs> you can fix that, right? Rubs <laughs> off on you in in interesting ways, like I couldn't ever, I couldn't ever be like another Rob Bell. I would just like, I just run my mouth too much. Yeah, and well, especially and, too. I mean, he's he's the progressive example in this case, but I mean, you see it across like political and religious spectrums. Where I think you see a lot of pastors that have <laughs> mental breakdowns, and he was one of them. You know, he had yes. a mental breakdown at one point, like in his pastoral career. I mean, you see a lot of pastors hit these walls where they have to either go away for a while or they completely rebrand themselves. And in that time, it's like it's like the facade is coming down, you know, because no matter how you slice it, when they get up in front of people to preach or in front of an audience to talk or they write their books like it's they are projecting a persona, you know, (laughs) do you know, have you heard of someone named Jonathan Martin? You might not have. He's from North Carolina, and he was pastor of the, I don't know how this happened, but he had a progressive North Carolina Pentecostal church, still loosely associated with the Church of God, in, and it was getting, like, he was getting really, like, well-known for a while, and then he had, like, an affair, and oh, he, yeah, and so he lost his wife, he lost his leadership at the church. And he did, like, this crazy journey, like, away from his faith. And now he, I think he's been, like, a single dude for, like, five years just, like, preaching and pleading and talking about his failures. And I I kind of dig that little authenticity, but I guess you do have to kind of go through some sort of horrific experience in order to, like, lose yourself. Yeah. yeah Does that make sense? A, that's a totally, like, yeah, absolutely. That's, I can relate to that in my own personal life story, yeah. whatever you want to call it. You, you definitely have to face, like, that level of losing it all, or at least an extreme tragedy to, to kind of, to, to get to the bottom of it, to face what it is you actually think, you know? Because so, so often yeah. you're, you're afraid to even look that monster in the face because you're thinking, wait, you know, do I actually believe there's a hell? You know, do I actually, like, what do I actually believe beneath all of this cultural and up, like my family upbringing and just all this baggage that you're, you're, you carry throughout your whole life. And so much of it, you didn't choose, you know, like you you just grew up with it. I know my mom, is, I think my mom is upset that I don't believe in hell, but like, I remember I, t- I told her that I was going to like this liberal church. I'm like, yeah, like there's so many, every diversity that you could imagine is in my church, female pastor, like gay couples, lesbian couples, trans members, poly people, like just like, and then you have regular people, tons of regular people. It's <laughs> so like any church. Oh, though all of those people are regular to me. And so then my mom calls me and she's like, Jennifer, does the church you go to believe in Jesus? And I'm like, Mom, the denomination's name is United Church of Christ. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, Mom. And so she, she's always worried about my salvation, I guess, the born again thing. So... Sorry, Mom. My parents are too, and I think that's a pretty like, like we talked about touched you, on that before. I think it, it comes from a really good place. It's just I think I think the most difficult bridge for them to cross in this is that sort of our whatever you want to call it, the millennial generation. Like we're the first generation to sort of branch out 
into this more right. see i don't even want to call it progressive it's not necessarily that it's progressive it's just more open i guess to different right. lifestyles and to different um po- just possibilities in general because you know it, yeah. I think there's there's this sort of in, in my opinion, at least, to a degree, I think there's a sort of false dichotomy where there's like conservative versus progressive ideologies. And I think it's more so that conservative ideologies ruled for so long in Western culture that it was, yes. it was bound to bottleneck yes. at some point. Oh, and that's you the know? same for politics, too, that I, yeah. I think I think people don't realize that conservatives like in Europe are still like basically our country is right so far right theologically and politically that I don't think that people realize that we're not that extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even when you look back on history, there were, there were, I, I'm pretty sure, what was it called? I don't remember. There was, there was a philosophy about not believing in hell. There's a philosophy about like, uh, or like, um, annihilationism. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. There was like, people have always been having different ideas about what Christianity is or what their faith is. And it's just, recently like literally in the 20th century in america that evangelicalism and the moral majority got such a grip on politics that now to them christian has exactly one definition yeah and you have to meet it yeah historically it's been been wrestled with a lot more and now yeah yeah, now we have a sort of like you'd said it's 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 basically monopolized by right-wing christianity and now but now now that you're seeing these these uh massive hordes of people like yourself coming out into these newer denominations and these newer ideas obviously that threatens the more conservative communities because it 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 basically signals to them the death of something that they had but to me it's like it doesn't really signal the death of conservative theology because it's all on a sliding scale you know like it's, it's, yeah. it's weird to think about how say whatever you believe now so you're you're part of this progressive denomination mm-hmm. and you're like comparatively to your parents you're obviously way more progressive but if you yes. were to stay the way you think right now and, and stay that way for the rest of your life over the course of your life in the next 20 30 40 50 years you would eventually become seen as more conservative you know, because the scales will keep sliding and things will keep that's right. perpetuating in that direction. Well, so it's that's just... what that's what the, but that's what conservative evangelicals are warning us about slippery slope. I remember, <laughs> I remember hearing like, oh, if we let women women be leaders, then soon we'll have gay people wanting to be leaders. I'm like, yeah, so what? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's why uh, when Rob Bell, he's the um, the sort of archetype of the progressive slippery slope that really opened up a lot uh, of those doors for people to, to just attempt these new <laughs> beliefs, you know, like it really. I saw, I saw Eric, Eric, Medi- I can't pronounce his last name, Metataxis. He's a real, I'm blo- he blocked me on Twitter, by the way. He's real <laughs> conservative, like, but like thinks he's like really super theological Christian. And he was like, he had seen that, what was it? The Rob Bell book that was like, maybe he doesn't believe in hell. Yeah, Love Wins. Was it Love Wins? Yeah. He had read that and he had just been like, and he linked to an article. It was like, Rob Bell, uncertain about possibility of hell. And Eric Meta Texas was just like, bye, Rob Bell. Yeah, that well, that was like, that was the John, that was the John Piper tweet. That was that was John Piper's like oh, famous, yeah, John Piper. like farewell. Arch, oh, farewell, Rob. Man, John <laughs> Piper. Gosh, he's one of my least favorites. Do you I don't think do you follow Stephanie Jury at all? Do you know who she is? No, tell me. So Stephanie, uh, she start. She's amazing. Um, she started a platform on Facebook years back. I don't know how many years back. At least six, seven, maybe more. Uh, it's called Stuff Christian Culture Likes. And <gasps> basic, do you know? That, do you know the page? I know the site. Yeah. <laughs> She's phenomenal. But she uh, created a parody account of John Piper on Twitter, and it's called I think it's called Fake Piper or Fake John that, Piper. That will be the first thing I'm doing. As you need to definitely call. check it out. It's I don't know how active it is anymore, but it is a phenomenal account. In fact, she she did one for uh, Mark Driscoll too. Do you know Mark? Oh, He's yeah. the worst. And she made actually made this, and it's called Fake Driscoll. That's the at for it. And the, <laughs> the church actually contacted her 
and said, um, like, you need to clarify in this tweet bio that this is not the real Mark Driscoll. And she responded essentially saying, it literally says fake Driscoll. <laughs> in the ad. I mean, I don't know how I can make this more clear, but she's phenomenal oh because she, like, that page, again, for those, for context for people listening, that page, Stuff Christian Culture Likes, it's essentially a Facebook page where she just posts a lot of um, just basically what's wrong with uh western christianity yeah. and even if you don't even if even if you fall more on the conservative uh slant in this way it's a lot of just stu- just um abuse scandals pastors gone like going on rampages like it's it's a lot of just watching Ugh. sort of the cracks erode into christian culture and, yeah. it, and it creates this environment which is really cool for people who are either not sure what they believe or they feel isolated in their community or they're transitioning That's to something good. and they can vent and they can sort of deconstruct where they're at on that page because a lot of, like for most people depending yeah. on where they live in the in the country like they there's most pockets of uh of, of um communities they're they're run by churches so if you're if you yes. grew up in a community like that and then you don't want to be part of that church anymore you've lost your community so for a lot of these people That's they, right. they don't have a place to go to to just talk to people about what they think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is, it's pretty tragic to, like, lose your community. I was lucky that I, like, lived in Richmond, and Daniel was... I, I wrote... This is the Jezebel article I wrote, like, two, three years ago about the church. Like, I took a video of Daniel had been, like, in... Dan, this was a summer Daniel had had massive intestinal surgeries to uh-huh. fix them. Yeah, and so... He had gotten out and he had a beer and he drank a beer. And so then the church fired him from his position for drinking a beer. Drinking a beer? They said it was that, but I know that it was because of his, like, bitch, leftist, liberal wife. But in one one way, I was glad that we were out of the church. But then we, like, had nobody. Yeah. Yeah, what do you do? I mean, none of my family lived in Richmond. Um... You know, I just started going to another church, and I'm still there, so <laughs> worked out. Yeah, because, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's so, again, for people on the outside, it's very difficult to to grasp, because for a lot of people who live in cities, obviously you're surrounded by uh-huh. opportunity to meet new people and to get involved in the community, because there's constant movement going on. But for most people who live in the suburbs or urban or, uh, or rural areas in the U.S., I mean, there's just not that many places no anymore, i can't imagine you know? like what do you do no i can't imagine no i can't imagine my sister lives back in cleveland Tennessee temporarily and she and it's it's she says it's a lot harder she's not as left and liberal as me she's more of like moderate yeah but still she can't stand to be around it especially like in the era of trump where she says basically the evangelicals worship him and it's so hypocritical to what we've been raised with i mean it's so it's just really hard for her to deal with and the beliefs they have and she started going to you know those churches that meet in movie theaters yes (laughs) the one the one she started going to one of those but now they've expanded that they're out of the move the movie theater she says she sees people like ex church of god people come into that church all the time because they cannot stand to be in the in the Trump Church of God anymore. Yeah, like like one thing Trump definitely did is that he took people who generally would have maybe stood somewhere on the more like the more moderate centrist. Yeah. Just the, like that relative like whatever you want to call it, like that blob in the middle and yeah. pushed them to one side or the other because of the hard stances people took. I mean, his rhetoric his rhetoric just pushed like it literally pushed pulled it didn't push it, it pulled it out of people. I mean, it really, the, the kind of stuff he's been saying from the get-go, like people either, I don't, I don't know how many people, I don't want to say people on the right necessarily as like a general generalization take to it like well. I don't, I don't like most of the people I've talked to that I know that are really pretty hardline right wing. They don't uh-huh. like a lot of the stuff he says, but. Yes, it's just, it's the, same, it's, but they vote for him anyway. Yeah, it's the party line. Oh. It's just it's it really like there's there's always there's always there's been talks since 2016 about like what happened. Republicans are really really good at like 
party unity, party loyalty, name brand. Democrats are so bad at it. Yeah, well, Democrats are more divided. <laughs> There's way more to be divided over. Whereas, like, right, the yes. right wing has way more of a, yeah, like a centralized tribe. And it's, and right. hen- hence all this talk about fundamentalist Christianity where, there's this there's this drive for them to keep everything together because that is what makes them so strong. Whereas on the left, it is way. <laughs> it's, as soon, it's like as soon as you hit moderate, everything just diverges into a million streams oh, from there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many just yeah, di- like right. not just in church but politically, socially, everywhere. Like even like it's it's really. It's fascinating for me, like coming from where I live, you know, in a more suburban town. You know, I only have so many people in my direct area Mm. that I can talk to about issues like this with with a different perspective, I should say. You know, like a lot of people have the same perspectives, but to get kind of different people's thoughts. And even within a lot of the more liberal, progressive minded people I know, there's just so much variance on any given point, especially with this church stuff. I mean, there's even when you when you branch into atheism and agnosticism, you know, people have such strong feelings about everything today, and it oh, really, yeah. you know, and it causes so much tri like tribal divide, like on the most things that to me, like I could sit across the the room or or the Skype call from you, <laughs> and and I, and I could I could hang out with people and have disagreements and kind of share a space to to figure out like what's going on and talk ideas but for most people it's just these hard line stances and they they can't find find their way around it and there are some things you know i'm not trying to say nothing should have a hard line like there's some moral stances that i think are way better off for people to make a a strong stance you know in the in the making but i think just as a general rule it's it's so difficult to have conversations with people about anything today Because one thing, you know, know? and I I am one of those people getting triggered. That's something I'm really struggling with in my spiritual boundary, like leftist life that I, I have been realizing through going to church. And also like, I I've been doing some like pretty intensive therapy uh, for my depression and stuff lately. I hold a lot of anger toward my hometown, not necessarily toward my parents, but like toward family that like like that like it encouraged it and like the environment and just evangelicals and conservatives in general i was never that even as a conservative christian i had friends with other beliefs and now i feel like i i find it hard to be friends with people of other beliefs and that sucks because i don't know i i mean i don't meet a lot i i don't meet a lot of other people that aren't are suit like the opposite of me theologically in my daily life here in Richmond. But, but the anger is not really helping me and it's making me become the sort of divisive person that I always accuse them of being. Yeah. But maybe like that makes total sense. I'm totally with you. I think maybe though, for where you're at right now, I mean, just the way you described it, how you're, you're, you're going, like you mentioned, you're going through therapy for your depression and what you're going through right now. But I think a lot of what, for me, at least, you know, in, in my time in therapy, a lot of what it comes down to for me is it, it is almost like PTSD with how you get raised. And I think there's a way... Spiritual abuse is a real thing. Yeah. and I don't know if I would say that I experienced it, but... No, but I, definitely... but, but I think you did, just not in the context. See, it's, this is where it gets dicey because everybody, <laughs> everybody interprets these this lingo differently. But yeah. I think there's obviously levels to spiritual abuse because there's there's physical abuse that that can occur within that, and then there's yeah. heavy manipulation, and then there's all that. But then mm-hmm. underneath that, there's well-intentioned indoctrination, and I think yes. that is still a level of spiritual abuse because if if your parents were loving and awesome which mine were and I love my parents and I, and I love my upbringing and I love I wouldn't change like looking back now I wouldn't change anything but that <laughs> the experiences that I had at that age were still they they still shaped me neurologically yeah. in a way that set me up as an adult now to really experience a, a lot of just anxiety and a lot yes. of, and a lot of falls and a lot of a lot of things that honestly wouldn't probably be there had it it been t- shown to me in a different way and that's not me saying oh like my parents were the worst for teaching me this like i'm saying like i'm trying to it's hard yeah. to put this into words because it's no not... you can empathize with your you can empathize with your parents and even like 
the belief systems you have and still realize that they were problematic. Yeah, yeah, and I think and I think that's the space where more people have to communicate these ideas better because it really is like when as an adult like you have to work through that anger. Like you're saying, like you really have to yes. and, and for where you're at right now, if you are if you're dealing with that, then it's better to be in a space of people who think like you. You know, it's better to you're be right. in your tribe because anytime someone from from the outside would try to come at you with something, it's just going to like you said, it's going to trigger you and that's it does it's not going to make you any better at communicating with them it's just going to make it worse because you're dealing with pain that's underneath all that and i think that's super super critical for people just to recognize that you have to you really have to go through a phase of deconstructing and for some people that's Hmm. a year some people it's five (laughs) years some people it's their whole life you know, like, oh, I mean, I was at the point where I was like, oh, I'm a great leftist Christian now. I've got it. I like wrote like I did a couple years ago. I did like a 40 days of Lent blog and uh, I was just super into like how cool of a, like a leftist Christian I was. And then I started realizing I was just just angry all the time at the other side. And yeah. I'm like, I've lost what I came the good parts of Christianity that I wanted to keep. And I want that. I mean, obviously, I'm still striving for that back. And I still like raising my kids in a hopefully like nurturing environment, learning about what I believe and what the church believes, but having, you know, freedom and not necessarily hardline indoctrination, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But do you, uh, do you follow Richard Rohr at all? Do you know who that is? Is he from Sojourners? He's written for Sojourners. He um he runs the Center for Action and Contemplation. I think that's what it's called. Um, That sounds really cool. Mexico. He's a Franciscan friar, so he's actually Catholic. (laughs) Um, but he is just a very he's like one of the like the wise sages in this all all this environment that we're talking about. You would love him. You'd absolutely love him. Uh, Oh my gosh! He did a podcast with you, Pete Holmes is. The comedian. Yes. So he did a podcast yes. with Pete Holmes uh, a couple of years ago. That's it's phenomenal. Like for anybody listening to any of this, like they they pick apart, you know, like Pete's past and they like he kind of Richard Rohr sort of walks through and just subtract. I had no idea. Yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. And Richard Rohr, like one of my favorite, um, I don't even know if you want to call it teachings, but kind of points that he's made that's really impacted me as he talks about how in life you go through three phases that can be cyclical in a lot of ways where you go through construction and then you go through deconstruction and then you go through reconstruction and the Uh. first part of your life when you're growing up you're constructing who you are and your ego identity and your family is raising you and nurturing you and you don't have much of a say in anything but you're just learning and taking everything in and then at some point usually when you're a teenager in some cases a young adult you have to go through a deconstructing phase where you pick apart the pieces that you don't like about what you were raised with and the things yeah. you're not sure about and the things that you just you want to challenge more. And you go through that phase. And that's what I was kind of getting at. For some people, uh-huh. that's a year. For some people, it's a decade. Who really knows? But eventually, I think, like in his words, like the goal is that you want to work through that deconstruction so that you can come out the other side into reconstruction where you can build that's a life. That's what I want to be. Like what you're saying, like with how you raise your kids. <laughs> yeah, like you want to you come out the other side in a way where you're not just like the way you were raised, just the opposite. Yes. You know, like, I think, I think that's what you're saying. Like, it's so easy to, to, to take an extreme, when you're raised with an extreme, it's so easy to take that extreme and just run with it. On the other the side, other on the other side. Yeah. yeah. I really, I'm just trying to be careful. I don't want them to have a bad experience with the church, but I, I would like to be reconstructing my own faith more instead of, I don't, instead of de- still being in the deconstruction phase. Well, it's hard. I thought I was... It's hard. It's yeah. super easy to deconstruct. Like, we all do it. <laughs> I love doing it, too. Like, I think for people like you and I, like, the kind of lifestyle we had growing up, it's easy to mm-hmm. stay in that place because it's what's, it's what's comfortable. And it is like therapy. Whenever you deconstruct something, it's like therapy because you're, you're yes. p- peeking, yeah, peeking, picking, piecing apart hey, uh, these pieces <laughs> of you, you know, that you, um, you were struggling with or hurt by growing up. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so what do you, uh, like, I don't know, like, how much you want to get into this, but, like, where are you at now, like, your beliefs? What do you believe and what are you sort of living within now? I, I described this the other day because I got a really long email. I had written, just this is for my other job that I, like, I don't say I don't take my job seriously, but I suppose I don't take the content seriously. So I had just written an article 
uh, like historical figures that might not have existed. And I have to get to like 60 slides per person. So I included Jesus. I obviously believe Jesus existed, but, but, but I, I included, I was like, some atheist scholars believe there was not even a Jesus. And this guy wrote me a 10 paragraph email on why Jesus existed. And I had to be like, Hey, actually, guess what? I believe you. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I think I'm pretty postmodern with how I read the Bible. Um, Especially like my grandfather, I said he was a, he was a professor at the Christian college, but I didn't say what of, he taught creation science. Ooh, was he a young earther? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Every young Earth belief that the flood, all of it. He was hardcore, uh, and so, I mean, that's another thing I had to deconstruct. To this day, I don't know. There's sometimes people will say things about evolution. And I'll be like, okay, yeah, I think I, I don't know if I know what you're talking about, but because <laughs> even in public, even in Southern public schools, they like barely touch on it, yeah. like bare minimum to like meet legality, and so, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, you're fine. Yeah, I think it's it's super fascinating to go through and, where you're at, like where after okay, all of and this, so you know, and so now I'm postmodern. I think I'm into liberation theology. Okay, where I think that theology, I think that the Bible is meant to liberate people from their trappings of their lives, whether it's sin or oppression or whatever. Um, I I believe in the resurrection. I don't know if I believe in hell. Pretty sure I don't. No, I'm going to say I don't believe in hell. Yeah. I'm always thinking about it. It's different. Some days I wake up and I'm like, there's no God. And then some days I wake up and I'm like, the Virgin, Mary, <laughs> God, all of that. I really want, I, I look at the historicity of Jesus and I think there's a lot there. And I definitely think he was God. So that's where I am right now. I believe in a, I think I believe in the Trinity, triune, triune God. Um, but to me, the beliefs of what Jesus was or what anything in the Bible, whether it was all true or false, is not as important to me as the message. Yeah, the message is way more important to me. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, when they take the the all those points that you just made, whether it's the creation story or the birth of yeah. Jesus, or the, these are things that for most Christians. Even though, by definition, they technically abide by faith, it's most most yeah. Christians more so abide by certainty. Where if faith is like, hmm. I like to look at it, whereas if faith is a scale from one to ten, most Christians classify themselves at ten all the time. You know what I mean? Like they don't really like That's a lot. Crazy. I know a lot of Christians who will make comments <laughs> about like they doubt, quote unquote. You know, they're doubting their faith. They're doubting. But I think really what they mean by doubt is that they're just going through a hard time. Hard that, time. You know, because any anytime you go through a hard time, you you sort of reconsider everything you know if you're going through a breakup or a death in the family you just get existential naturally and i think that is a lot different than someone who's living day to day sort of wrestling with the theological implications of each one of those things that you mentioned because for me yeah like there is there's some if if it's a scale of one to ten there's some days i wake up and i'm at a zero you know there's some there's some days i wake up and i'm maybe at a four maybe a five but like with each one of those things, I mean, it's it's really interesting to see to hear like sort of what parts of it you've held on to and you're still sort of working your value system around. You know, like For sure. to go through all of that and to still um, maintain the sort of whatever you want to call it the the New Testament value of yeah. of the life of Jesus is it's really interesting to hear like because like I think for a lot of people I think a lot of people would have started listening to this podcast and maybe turned it off after the first 15 minutes because they were frustrated like this girl is super left-wing and pissed off and, <laughs> and she's and she um like you know she she's just anti-religion but then you get to a part of the podcast like this where it's sort of coming back around and you you hear you are like those no. are pretty those are pretty conservative positions on judging on yeah. a lot of people's scales you know yeah yeah because i mean for me personally i don't want to spend too much time on it but i um there's this there's this theologian who lives literally the next town over from me his name's pete ends and he <gasps> i know pete ends. oh do you know pete? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know him but i 
follow him from afar. Yeah, his his work's been blowing up the past couple years yeah. since he wrote that book, uh, The Bible Tells Me So. And I really, he's another one of these characters sort of along the way that I've really enjoyed their work sort of post post my Rob Bell phase because yeah. the way he... Rob Bell is the, what are you, the gateway drug. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's the gateway. <laughs> totally, totally. He's the, he's the initiator <laughs> of the slippery slope. Uh, and then you fall down into sin everywhere from, from there on That's out. That's right. But like with Pete, I really like the way Pete, um, and his, specifically in his book, the Bible tells me so, how he goes through the. He, I mean, he specializes in the Old Testament just with his own yeah. theology, but how he goes through the Old Testament and sort of narrates the story in a way where it it gives the reader, you know, if 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 you're a re, if you're reading this and you're in a way more conservative position, you uh-huh. could take from the, his, what he's saying and just use it to sort of question all of the bases that you've built your assumptions on about the Old Testament, which is cool. Or if you're yeah. someone like me who is sort of already out of that mindset. In fact, I would have yeah. at the time been way more atheist or agnostic when I picked that mm. book up and I was able to walk through what he wrote and it kind of pulled me back that way a little huh. bit because I, I read a lot of what he was writing and said, you know, this to me... This what what PNs is to me theologically is sort of the the missing piece that I think a lot of atheists um, really could use in more of their public debates. I mean, especially when you look at uh, and I know, oh yeah, and, and I can't I watch him. Yeah, like, I get too angry at the atheists, and then I get especially if it's like a creationist, then I'm just angry at everybody. I'm yeah, like, exactly. So, all of you are yeah. <laughs> The, the play, the <laughs> players in that game, you know, like they really do only cater to specific. And, and Sam Harris is one of the most prominent ones. And I know, uh. and, and well, Sam, he was a. Uh, I was gonna say he he's talked about in a lot of his debates how he's debated Jewish scholars, and at the end of the debates, when he's talked to the Jewish scholars about like how it went and all that, they've basically just said, "Yeah, like, I don't believe in God or any of that stuff. You know, I'm just here to debate the cultural context." So. Like, <laughs> You know, so I think there's a lot of like not I don't want to call them straw men, but there's a lot of these uh, circumstances that come up in public debate between the atheist community and the faith community where I think a guy like Pete Enns is a great missing puzzle piece because he takes what all what the Bible says and puts it in a more historical context, puts it in a more um, like metaphorical framework where it's it doesn't need to be so literal all the time and i think that's where a lot of people get lost you know people get lost when you basically say that you know adam and eve were real and that we've all been derived from adam and eve and there's a talking snake (laughs) and that god literally commanded you know his people to murder thousands of you know the enemies and there's all these really problematic parts of the old testament oh yeah you know and then but if you're a christian and you take it all literally that's a huge, and, and most Christians yeah. do, you know, so it's a yes. huge, that's a huge problem. But I think a guy like Jones comes in and sort of, he right. he creates a new corner of that, that uh, market, if you want to call it that. I know, I've said on Twitter, and I've said it again, that new atheists and like conservative evangelicals have one thing in common, and it's biblical illiteracy. I think that people don't understand how the Bible was like written or what the context are or what it meant to the Jewish people. They don't know any of it. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest the biggest hurdle, I think, for the atheist community is that they're less concerned in the work that they do in the in the public square. I think they're they're less concerned about maybe the exact theological implications and more so about how society is utilizing those implications, you know, because they're looking at, you know, well, it's still somewhere in the ballpark of 50% of U.S. evangelicals believe the earth is 6,000 years old. So people like you and I, (laughs) we can can sit here all day and, and like, bat back and forth about, you know, how that's crazy and, like, you know, we don't believe that anymore. But there is a majority of uh, Christians still in Western culture who believe these. That's right. Like, you know, I used or, to believe it. Yeah. So I think, I think that's more their, their focus, but I still think now as society does progress in the direction it's going more and more, I think they need, if the atheist community wants to survive and the sort of standing that it's in, they need to start taking those theological nuances way more seriously for sure. Yeah, they don't. I, I, I like, I haven't gotten atheist friend on Facebook and every time I say something about 
evangelical Christians shouldn't do blah, blah, blah. How can someone do this and call themselves a Christian? Which I shouldn't even be writing these things in the first place because it just makes me angry (laughs) and upsets me. And he goes, oh, that's a no true Scotsman argument. I'm like, you cannot group all Christians together. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not a no true Scotsman argument. That's a that's just something dumb that you're saying because yeah, <laughs> together. Yeah, it's all fundamentalism, and I think it's yeah. And it, it, again, it sort of comes down to this weird terminology of how people define the terms because atheism as a term, it, that all that means is a, a lack of belief. So it means they don't believe in a god. Whereas I think most people, in the way that atheist, it's it's almost like veganism. You know, the way vegan. <laughs> Because the way, the way veganism is framed is that... Shake him, let's take him, guys. Yeah. He is clearly spreading propaganda. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, I mean, I think veganism, the way it's propagated by the sort of, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, the extremists of veganism, they it's propped up in a way where if you're a vegan, you have to be a fundamentalist vegan, and you have to be super vocal and anti-everybody that eats meat, and et cetera, et cetera. It's the same thing with the atheist community, where I think it's sort of expected just by definition that atheism means you're a militant atheist, like you're a new atheist, that you believe religion must be yeah. annihilated. Whereas... If we're talking in like the specifics of the terms, I mean, faith—the opposite of faith—is just non-faith. So that would be atheism. But I think yeah. most, most people classify themselves in that agnostic area, whereas yeah. agnostic in the in the way it's defined is basically like I don't know, like I don't know what I believe. That's basically atheism. You know what I mean? Because atheism is just yeah. a lack of belief. So it really comes down to this huh. weird like word game that we're all playing because we're just playing it by the most extreme players of each team. And it's super annoying to me because I have friends in all these communities and I always want to, to sort of do them. Like I want to prop them up by their best. I don't want to prop them up by the sort of, you know, <laughs> like the, the, the Richard Dawkins of atheism. You know what I mean? Yes. Like I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to give it its due and its day in court without, having to create like a straw man ridiculous portrayal you know and that's just it's just so easy to do that wherever you fall (laughs) exactly all right so do you have a wrap-up or no no no, no. i'm so old no no you're fine you've been great this has been awesome i really appreciate all the time um yeah like uh well if you want to let people know what you got going on now, um, like what stuff you're doing with writing or if there's a place they can find you on Twitter. Oh, uh, like uh, okay. Well, you can follow me on Twitter if you want. It's not a good idea, but it's <laughs> at not really JCM. I don't know where I got that from. It was because Jennifer C. Martin is owned by us by a bot on Twitter. It happens to, everybody. I know, so I know. <laughs> um, and Right now, I am doing a lot of fiction writing at home. Like, I've been writing a play. I pitched an article to Christianity Today about the one conservative member of my liberal church. And I would love to write an article about that, but I haven't heard from this. (laughs) That sounds awesome, too. (laughs) I know. Somebody should let me write it. Um, Really write. Like, I've been, I've honestly been... To do extra writing, I've just been concentrating on my job mostly. But if you want to read some really smart people clickbait, go to topics.com. <laughs> smart people clickbait. There you have it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Yo, thank you so much for the talk, Jennifer. That was a lot of thank fun. Thank you. We'll you were a lot of fun. <laughs> Make sure that when you hang out with your friends from Me Without You, that I am a super fan and Listen, I want to be them. We're not friends. I just played a show with the guy one time. <laughs> That's more than I've ever done. Just, just keep hitting them up on Twitter. They'll probably get back to sure. you eventually. <laughs> okay. All right. Awesome. Have a great night, Jennifer. Thank you. Yep. You too. See ya. Bye.